Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the host of the Association 4.0 podcast. I am also co-founder of .org Community and founder and CEO of .org Source, a management consultancy to associations. Today, my guest is Amanda Kaiser. Amanda is a management engagement specialist. She is also an author and sought-after speaker who has presented in many prominent association venues. Recently, Amanda partnered with Matchbox Virtual Media to co-create the Virtual Networking Incubator. She's also collaborated with Dynamic Marketing to develop the new member engagement study. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for joining me today. Excited to, to talk with you. Yeah, thank you, Sherry. I appreciate this. Great. Um, so tell us about Kaiser Insights and your background. Yeah, sure. So I got my start as a marketer at Crayola. And then when I found out about associations, I absolutely knew I found my home uh, because the association community is, it's just it's so collegial and generous, and it's full of really great, talented, smart people. So I'm excited to be here in this community. And when I think about sort of the evolution of the business, Kaiser Insights, and, and my career, I, I now tend to think of myself as a problem solver for this community. So I like to uh, spot big problems like how do we make new member onboarding better? And can uh, networking really work in a virtual environment? Um, so that's just a couple of the problems that I've been fiddling with lately. And once I identify a problem like that, a problem that I just can't stop thinking about, I convene association leaders in some method or other and get them all together to start talking about solutions. That's exciting. Um, so I'd love to hear about the new member engagement study and what you learned from that. Yes, this is a super topical discussion right now. A lot of, if you look at ASAE's Collaborate, there's a lot blowing up or all around new member engagement, new member retention. So this idea uh, came to me back in 2018, Dynamic Benchmarking and I, we got together um, and decided to work with each other on this problem. And the question at that time was, do new member onboarding programs even work? So we knew that new member engagement was super important, but we wondered if onboarding programs and welcoming programs and orientation programs actually uh, had an impact on new member retention. And the good news from four years ago is, yes, those programs all do work. In fact, successful plans raise new member renewal rates by anywhere between about 10 and 50%. Now that, that's a huge span, right? 10 to 50%. Yeah. And, and the reason why I like to, to kind of tell you that there's a big range there is because new member onboarding programs grow. In other words, when they start in the first year, they're not, they're not as successful. They're usually smaller. People are trying to figure them out and do a lot of experiments. But then you look at, say, year four, and there's tremendous new member, a tremendous change in new member renewals. So um, what did we learn at, at way back then? Uh, we learned that the best programs tend to offer a mix of touch points, including email and phone calls um, and, a, and a handful of other tactics. And now we're rerunning the study. So four years later, uh, we've got that study in the field now and we've gotten 
271 respondents to date, which I'm super excited about. And, um, and so I've, I went in this morning and I pulled some just really quick, uh, you know, things to, for us to look at today while we were talking. And I think one of the most interesting things that we're seeing now compared to four years ago is the use of online communities to engage new members has drastically um, increased. Um, and then probably as expected, sending new, well, well, new member welcome kits by mail has dramatically decreased. So, so that's just some overall trends. Um, we also see that really successful associations are picking not only you know, online communities and they're doing email and they're making phone calls, but they're also picking maybe five to nine more tactics uh, and they're extending the, the length of their programs that they're talking to new members specifically about five months or more. So, so there's some really interesting things that we're going to be finding out with this survey, and we'll have a report coming out this fall. Um, that's great. Um, that's good work that you guys are doing. I'll be, I'm really interested to read that in, in the fall. Uh, so tell me about the virtual networking incubator and what you discovered from that project. Yeah, yeah, totally different project. This was a project that I worked on with uh, another set of partners, Matchbox Virtual Media. And when we conceived of this project, it was it was kind of the you know the heart of COVID. You know, everybody was working from home. We were fighting over toilet paper. You know, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, and what we noticed was the association industry just absolutely rose to the occasion, right? We, we suddenly couldn't have in-person events. And so we all went online. And um, my partners and I noticed that when we took our annual conferences and our meetings and events online, the education remained very, very good. But what associations were really struggling with was the networking part. So we got together 150 association leaders to see, and the big goal here, the big question here was, can networking at virtual events be meaningful, comfortable, and fun? And the good news here is it can be. Uh, so we did, we actually took some polls with that community. And one of the questions we asked was, um, you know, what, what feelings does networking bring up for you? And we measured virtual versus in-person. So, so in-person networking, when we asked the question around, you know, is it fun? Uh, does it bring up feelings of fun, exploration, and adventure? Only 25% said in-person felt like that for them. But then after doing the networking through the virtual networking incubator, 79% said that it felt fun for them. Uh, fun, you know, they felt a sense of fun exploration adventure. The other thing we mentioned, we measured was anxiety and concern. So uh, in person, 58 of our respond or 58% of our respondents said, I feel a lot of anxiety or concern when I'm doing in-person networking, but online with the virtual networking incubator, it was 16%. So, so we kind of proved that yes, you can make, uh, you know, virtual networking uh, events um, much more meaningful, comfortable and fun, but it means a whole different way of doing things. So I'll give you an example. So instead of, you know, opening up a room and just kind of hoping pick people mix and mingle, what we found is event hosts need to be much more deliberate around the way they convene people and around the way they curate that experience and, you know, setting up a pretty full agenda, helping people meet the people that they need to meet and, and starting those conversations and, you know, giving them warm ups and icebreakers and ideas about things to talk about. 
uh, one of my favorite modes of virtual network, um, virtual networking is um, this whole collaborative problem solving events. Um, and because I've found that when people work together, they form relationships. So, so lots of, lots of exciting things there. Now that, uh, report is done and it's on my website. You can find that there under, um, resources. And there's just a whole lot of tips that you can use for virtual networking. But then we found that all of these tips work backwards for regular in-person networking too. So as we go back in person, I think this is still really relevant information. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, Amanda, because, you know, when we started .org Community, we were very intentional on making connections. We even had a tagline at one one point that said, make your connections count. And we would help people, help people network. We'd say, hey, Amanda, you need to meet so-and-so because they're really interested in, you know, have similar background or interested in a topic you're researching or whatever the case might be. Um, and you know, as our community grew, that's harder and harder to do at an event. Um, but it was interesting that we'd have some of people that were customers or friend of ours that would kind of follow us around at the meeting and weren't really comfortable with that in-person networking. Um, and so I'm, I'm telling the story because it was interesting in 2020 when we started having virtual events those people that were a little more reserved and weren't comfortable in that in-person environment were like the ones that were totally engaged talking online. And that was very interesting behavior to me. So I kind of followed up and asked, I'm like, hey, like I see that, you know, you really like this format, what's working for you? And they ended up telling me, um, and there was a few people that did this. They're like, Sherry, I'm an introvert. And the, you know, we love your events and we like going, I love going to your events, but I'm not comfortable in that environment, but online for whatever reason, cause they were behind the screen or whatever the case might be, they were very comfortable. So it was very interesting dynamic. And I guess your study, you know, showed that that is actually the case, which was, I mean, it's, it's surprising to me, but it kind of validates what I was just hearing or, or, or seeing. So it was very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly the same thing. Yeah. So in, in the virtual networking incubator, about half of our participants were extroverts and half of our participants self-identified as introverts. And, um, and you can make introverts feel comfortable in person and extroverts feel comfortable online. You just, you just have to uh, I, I call it curating. You have to curate the experience for both people, both different types of folks and all of those different kinds of environments. And I, I think when you think about like traditional networking, extroverts love that. They don't have any problem with walking up to somebody and saying, hello, my name is Bob. Nice to yeah. meet you. Right. And then, um, and then it, through chat, it's a, you know, it's a very comfortable way for introverts to, to, to connect with each other and connect with other people. Um, but, but, and we talked a lot about this during the incubator is, um, you know, how is everybody feeling about this? Do our, you know, do our introverts feel comfortable and do extroverts feel like they're, you know, connecting and talking and, and, you know, doing what they love to do as well. And, and so I think, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up for meeting planners is to, you know, just start putting yourselves in the shoes of everybody who's going to come to your event and how do you make it comfortable and fun for everybody? Right. Because I think, for, you know, when we think about meeting planners, they're focused on 
the logistics, like making sure we have enough food and enough beverage, but what is that environment look mm-hmm. like? And I think we get, um, it'll be interesting as we move along here, because there's still this conversation, as you know, about what does hybrid look like? And I think that's even, that is very challenging um, to do, to have in-person and um, remote folks, and then can they collaborate? Are they two different groups? And so I, I think we're all navigating through that. So it'll be kind of interesting to see where this all lands, but it's been, um, I think it's been a an eye-opening experience, obviously, for yes. all of us to really see what the human behavior is like. Um, so I'm, uh, I think everyone would be very interested in your study and we'll put, put a link to, um, to your study in the show notes as well. Um, right. So what other trends in member engagement are you seeing? So we, we just started talking about member experience and that that's, I think that's one of the things that I'm most excited about right now is, is the role of member experience. And let me tell you a little bit why. So when we, we as a community, as an association community, we talk a lot about value all the time. We're talking about how do we, uh, how do we make more value for our members um, or create more value for our members? How do we, how do we, you know, market our value, you know, and all of those good things and value is absolutely crucial. Uh, But it, but I kind of wonder, in fact, I just saw uh, a note in an online community about this yesterday that so many associations have these really long lists of benefits, like, you know, 37 member benefits and members typically for most associations tend to use just one or two of those benefits, which makes me think that Maybe, maybe value is an issue, but, but maybe not always, right? Maybe there's another piece to the puzzle. And I think that the other piece to the puzzle is member experience. And when I think about experience, it's how we help our members feel that sense of belonging, feel like they're valued, feel like they're heard, feel like they're welcome, you know, all of those things. And if you look at, you know, kind of every stage of uh, the membership journey, that, you know, that experience becomes a little bit different, but how, how do we mold and shape and deliver these really great experiences that help keep people engaged? This is a big question for me right now. And I think that experience is really the new frontier of member engagement. I'm actually writing a book about this. Uh, It's set to, to publish in Valentine's day, 2023, and it's called elevate elevating engagement, uncommon strategies for creating thriving member communities and so I'm exploring this right now, you know, the role, the role of value, but mostly the role of experience, because it, it feels to me like low hanging fruit for associations. It's not something that they necessarily need board approval for or huge budgets for or anything like that uh, to, to change that experience for your members. Um, that's, that's very, I think, um, timely too, in terms of you know, well, how are we getting people back to these, um, to events or how are people collaborating and what are they, it's almost like, what are they feeling and what is that experience of belonging to that or to an organization? Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what's sticky, at least to me. And, and it's very easy to ruin that member experience. And then you've got people who may never return because they had a bad experience. Um, and so, um, so I'll be, uh, ready to read your book when it comes out on Valentine's day, <laughs> which yeah. is by the way, my birthday. So it'll be a birthday present to me. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll send you one. Awesome. awesome. Um, so 
you know, talk to me a little bit about what you feel is the lasting impact um, the pandemic has had on member engagement. Yeah, I, I mean, you put your finger on it earlier and in, in this whole events thing, you know, in person and online and hybrid and people's uh, behaviors around that and and, and all of that. Um, so when I think about an event engagement in particular, uh, you know, I am thinking a lot about what's been going on. And we're seeing it in the metrics right now that people are having in-person events and folks are registering really late and some, yes. and not every association, but in some associations, they're just not seeing the numbers that they want to see for in-person. So what I think is happening is, is for two years, so many professionals have worked from home and they've been working virtually and, and they know how to work virtually and it works. And, and what's happened is that's significantly raised the bar for travel for many professionals. You know, travel takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. You're away from your family. You're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. And so professionals have gotten really comfortable with all of these virtual interactions, whether it's, you know, learning or talking or, co- or collaborating. And, and when they think about spending a half day or a week of traveling, it might be less appealing. Now, I do believe there's tons of reasons to be engaging members in in-person events, but I've also believed that we've only scratched the surface on engaging members at virtual events. So when we see members not engaging in our virtual meeting metrics, you know, like you can you can tell uh, from your your metrics that people are not registering or people are not actually watching, you know, the education that you're putting in front of them, that they're they're pulling out, that they're multitasking, they're doing something else. I have a theory that it's because the format of most virtual events is not all that engaging. And some some thoughts that I've been playing with a lot is that we've got to to move away from the very standard webinar format where you've got the communication coming from the speaker in one direction to the audience. And instead, I think what we need to do in virtual is to try to play a lot more with uh, dialogue between the speaker and the audience and between the participants and each other and between the host and the participants. You know, I think there's a lot of things we can be doing virtually to increase the dialogue, which will increase the engagement. So I, I'd like, I, in that format, in this virtual format, I don't want to see it go away. I want to see it get much, much better because then associations can engage members they've never been able to engage before. Uh, and But to do that, I think we've got to start exploring tons of other formats and activities and, you know, ways of doing this. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, um, you know, we do that, we're intentional about doing that with how we um, create those in-person events. Like what does the format look like? Because we want it to be engaging. We want audience participation and all of these things. But when we get to the online, as you said, where we have a webinar and a speaker and maybe some chat. So how do we really think through what that experience is all about? Um, And I do think it's a huge opportunity because there's going to be people. um, And I look at, you know, I have a daughter in college that half of her, because of the pandemic, half of her experience has been online. So there is expectations that have been set too that may carry over for years. And depending on where people are in their lives, they may only want to participate online, both financially, or maybe they have, you know, small children, whatever the case might be, right? That that they still want to belong to an organization, but 
their belonging might look different, right? So, um, so talk to me a little bit more about onboarding. I think onboarding is such an important part of gaining and keeping member loyalty. Uh, so what recommendations do you have for creating a successful onboarding program? Yeah. One of the things that I'm really excited about with this next iteration of the new member engagement study is we've gotten so many more respondents and we're able to answer exactly that question, not for the entire community overall, which is what we were able to do the first time. You know, the first time we said, in general, for all associations, this is how to make a successful onboarding program. The problem is, is as you know, uh, Sherry, associations are so different, right? They're different in whether they're trade associations or professional associations. And I think maybe the starkest difference is whether you're a very small association or chapter, medium-sized or large association. So this time we have enough data to do that analysis. And so the answer of, you know, how you create a really successful program is really dependent on what kind of association you lead. Uh, So let me give you just some some examples of what we found in the data. And there's there's again, there's going to be a lot more coming out this fall. So small associations and chapters do really well with very personalized outreach to new members. And um, and it was kind of like what you were talking about when your community maybe was a little bit smaller. You could do those one to one, you know, like, hey, Mary, meet Jane, you know, like those kinds of things. Um, and, and really do that, you know, very uh, curated kind of networking. And so they're doing that. They're doing a welcome email. They're doing a welcome phone call uh, at chapter meetings uh, and events. They're doing, they've got welcoming committees. They're doing these one-on-one personal introductions. Uh, you see smaller associations forming this whole culture around, uh, you know, if, if you're a longtime member you don't just clump up with all of your friends. You look around and see who you don't know and you go over and introduce yourself. And so that's what small small associations and chapters can do very well. Our medium to large size associations, they totally struggle to scale that kind of personalization. And just like what you're talking about, once you start getting into the you know, hundred, hundreds of members, thousands of members, very, very hard to, to make those mechanics work anymore. And so what we see is their new member onboarding programs tend to get very sophisticated. They rely a lot more on technology to get new members value very quickly and to, to form those kinds of nice member experiences. So one of the things that I'm super excited about is this fall, we're going to have a, a really good look at um, about what it takes to be successful, no matter the type or size of association you have. Uh, there is the perfect new member onboarding pl- plan for you and your members. So I'm, I'm excited to get all of that data together and show everybody. That's great. Um, so what does technology play in member engagement? Yeah, um, this is this is a really good one. Um, so, you know, overall technology is an enabler of member engagement, but I'm, I'm still being cognizant of the fact that, you know, there's maybe small associations that can't buy the super slick, best shiny technology and large yeah. associations can. So the answer is different for everybody. But I think, oh, you know, if I think about technology overall, what it can help us do is create experiences at scale. You know, it, again, it's very hard for staff or volunteer leaders um, to, to meet and greet or even call a hundred people in a month, right? That becomes very, very difficult, but, um, but you can scale some experiences and, and, um, 
you know, one of the things, and this is super simple, it's, it, you had talked about this before is, is chat. So if you think about, you know, Zoom chat, uh, in the old days as a keynoter, when I would be on the stage, it would have been very, very hard for me to ask a question and then have all of the 200 people in the audience reply back to me at once. So, you know, the most you can do is get people to raise your hand, their hands. You can ask for a head nod, but you, you can't, you can't get everybody to give you a substantive answer, really. That's, that's really hard in person. But now when I'm doing keynotes online, I can ask a question and everybody who wants to can reply to me. And then I can look at all of the answers and I can, I can pick a couple of answers to respond to and, you know, highlight some good ones. And, um, and it's, it's great as a, for me as a speaker, it's, it's amazing because I get this dialogue real time with my participants and I, I know what they're thinking. Right. And I love that. And then they see each other talking. So that's social proof. And they also get that feeling of, of, oh my gosh, people are saying what I'm saying. And that's, you know, that's very exciting. Uh, and sometimes you see people start to interact with each other. You know, they'll, they'll say, you know, Lynn, I love what you just said. And it made me think of this. And then that you see them have like yes. a little sidebar that, so that's yes. awesome. So, you know, I think that's just, um, that's just one way that technology enables these really great, you know, engagement opportunities and experiences at scale that are very, very hard for us to do one one to one all the time. Yes. So, so another question I have for you is, you know, you interact with a variety of organizations and leaders of all sizes. Um, but what do you feel is the most important advice that you can give them at this time? Yeah. Um, I just keep testing new things. I, you know, one of the, there was a, I was reading something and, and, and some, I think it was in a comment, somebody sort of said like, yay, we're, we're going back in person. COVID is over. Phew, things can go yeah. back, back to normal. And I don't think they quite meant it that way, but it, but it kind of sent alarm bells up for me because I, I really feel like most of our professional, most of our members, they've become much more flexible in trying new things since the pandemic. And this gives us like a, a get out of jail free card. You know, I don't think that association professional from professionals need to worry about being right or perfect right now. Um, we can, we can experiment. We can say to them, Hey, we're going to try something we hope you love, but we don't know that it's going to work, but would you like to try it with us? And I think some of our members are going to jump at the chance. So I, I feel like the pandemic opened up this, um, I don't know, it's not a wormhole, but it's an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity to keep trusting and trying new things. And, and I hope that everybody keeps doing that. That's uh, some great advice. And I do too, because I, I, I'm like you, I, every time I see everyone's like, oh, we're going back to normal. I'm like, well, did we learn anything the last couple of years? And what, and I agree, what we learned is we have the ability to be agile and to be innovative and try things and see if it works or if it doesn't and keep doing the things that work and stop doing the things that don't work. Um, but that mindset, I think, is what leaders need to continue to, to think about instead of just kind of going back to how things were um, before 2020. And with that being said, how do you see association business models changing or do you see them changing? Yeah. So, you know, one thing I've been thinking about is, um, is the whole sponsorship model as part of our business model. And, um, and I think this, the stakes are kind of higher for associations. They're higher for sponsors now. And 
the way I suspect or I forecast that associations are going to deal with that is sponsors will become more like partners, uh, yes. that they're, they're going to be, uh, you know, association partners and providing really great experiences. So for example, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of sponsors, uh, the, the contacts that are actually working within associations or salespeople they're, I mean, not always, but, but a lot of salespeople, they're extroverted. They're, they're so warm and welcoming and wonderful and they set people at ease. So ask those folks to be your event welcoming team. Uh, I oh, think it's a great I, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, they're so good at that. Right. And, yeah. and they, they don't, they like it. Um, and for them, it's perfect because they get to meet a whole lot of people, which is exactly what they want to do. Uh, there's, uh, you know, sponsors, I think are going to, um, start writing more content. They're going to start doing more presentations at conferences that are not salesy there, but they're really important for members because what our sponsors and, you know, our technological vendors, what they see is they see lots of clients. And so they can tell, you know, what's working and what's not working. So they can provide great content. They can provide great education data, so I'm kind of predicting that uh, sponsors are are going to move away from you know just being the the providers of dollars, um, and and they're going to start you know moving into that space of of being thought leaders in the industry as well. I I totally agree, um, and I think that's something for association leaders to really think through. Um, through our daughter community, we had a think tank of discussions around sponsorship and the old model of sitting in an exhibit hall, waiting for somebody to come to your booth. Um, they realize that that is not one, what those sponsors want anymore. And, and I think there's a huge opportunity to have that knowledge sharing, right. And, and in different ways and different formats and kind of as you've talked with us today about, you know, what are ways that we can think about, engagement differently for our members, but um, important for our partners as well, um, because there's a lot of organizations that saw um, a huge loss in revenue, obviously, with the pandemic, because we weren't able to have those exhibit booths. Um, and But on the other hand, those uh, sponsors also lost the ability to get in front of our members. Um, so where, you know, what does that look like uh, moving forward? And I think that's a an important um, thing to think about. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you don't mind me asking a question back at you. Of course. Uh, because this, this whole, the, the evolution of sponsors and partners and how all that's going, uh, you know, have you run across some, some models that seem to be promising as we step into the future and start thinking more about this? So I'll tell a story about what we did at Org Community, and then I'll also talk about um, one of our, our clients. So when it was interesting, when we pivoted quickly, uh, early, um, obviously 2020, with a lot of education to help associations, like how do you do scenario planning? What do you do about meetings? How do you switch to a virtual platform? All those things that were, everybody had to hurry up and try to solve for. And then at about July, one of our partners came to us and said, hey, we've been trying to do all of these virtual meetings and it's not working. Um, can you help us get in front of association execs? And so we brainstormed, um, we created a, a year-round virtual exhibit hall. But what I also knew is that um, as a consultancy, we were creating a lot of content 
And I realized that our partners were creating similar content. So we took a step back and looked at how we can integrate that great content that our partners were creating into the things that we were already doing. So we have a weekly newsletter. Um, We were doing webinars that were similar to our partner webinars. So we're like, let's stop doing that and let's promote our partner webinars. So we really kind of thought about how do we do create a model around content distribution um, that has worked really worked well for us. The other thing that we did was we created um, because of the calls that I was getting, we created a what we call solutions in action, which now we've done it for um, we've done it ever since. We did two in 2020, two in 2021, and one in 2022, where our partners did. Um, they have a 15 minute time slot, 10 minutes of demo, and five minutes of Q Q and A. Um, and they're back to back with solutions. So of course, in 2020, a lot of the focus was on virtual meetings. So people were able to very quickly see what the offerings were um, from all of these different vendors. So we had a customer who did something similar. And instead of trying to do a exhibit hall with their um, event, they have a, what's kind of like a demo days on, um, they did it like three Thursdays in a row based on certain types of vendors. And what I see, and I don't have any data to support this, but what I've seen um, is that when people are engaged with an online event, they're there for the content and the engagement with those members. But they're not necessarily going over to the virtual exhibit hall. However, if they have a problem to solve with a, whether it's a whatever a technology or some sort of solution or business partner, and there is a day set aside to just do that, they're likely to go and do that on those days. So they're not kind of dividing up their attention. And if you can relate this to kind of the physical meeting or in-person meeting, we see the same thing. We've always talked about how do we drive members into the exhibit hall because they're standing in the hall talking to their peers. Um, So in that kind of virtual environment, it works really well by separating them on different days and really different purposes. So again, this is all just kind of observational. I don't know. And I just know that it's worked well. That has worked well for us and it's worked well for a client um, to, to handle it that way. But again, it's a, a little bit of a change of thinking or approach to how we've typically done things in the past. Yeah. I love that. As you were talking, I was busy writing all this stuff down because I, <laughs> I think that's exactly it. It's, it's, you know, now we've got new formats, new opportunities. And so it's, so it's a matter of kind of re, re completely rethinking it and not trying to take, you know, online and make, or, or in-person and making it online or then, you know, a virtual uh, and then making it in person. It's a, it's about re, you know, completely rethinking how we're doing this stuff. Well, and I'll give you a very tactical example too of like the content distribution. So we have a newsletter that's managed by Raza IO. I think a lot of our audience probably does the same. And we said, oh, what, wait, we could take the RSS feeds from our partners who are writing weekly blogs and include them in the newsletter, mm-hmm. right? Like that's very simple. It doesn't take 
any effort but us to make sure that that link is included um and then that's auto automatically curated and then if our audience is interested in that content it'll come up for them and if they're not it, it doesn't so that was a just a a moment where we took a step back and said wait a second you know x y or z like community brands wow they're doing a lot of content on whether it's member engagement or um data governance or association analytics maybe doing a lot of stuff on you know gov data and data management so those are important topics to our audience let's include that so again very simple uh instead of just pulling all of the content from you know harvard business review or inc or whatever because you know we're curating content from everywhere and then we have our own content that we put into the newsletter so anyway very simple just thinking through what is what are your partners already doing that you can use that provides a benefit to the members so it was kind of a win-win for everybody you know one of one of the things that kind of that occurs to me is uh when you know there was a, a point at when sh when a lot of um vendors and sponsors got into the content game and associations kind of said, uh oh, they're, they're being competitors of ours. Right. <laughs> but the, the, you, what you're talking about here is bringing everybody back together again and, and working together on behalf of the association. So, you know, the part, the vendor partner is making content that the association is then, you know, helping to distribute. So that gives them some, you know, some uh, line of sight to maybe members that, that don't know about them and some branding. And then on the reverse side, because the association is curating the very best of content, the association is still getting known as the place to go for all of these solutions. So it, it, it is a, a marvelous way to uh, make our sponsors not seem like competitors or not seem like, you know, outsiders. We're bringing them back into our communities again, which is lovely. Exactly, exactly. So speaking of, I guess one last question I have for you is, what do you think is the most important technological development for associations today? Yeah, uh, I feel I feel like the, the ambassador of chat and this is going <laughs> to sound so funny because it's like ridiculously simple. Um, you know, I really do feel like it's chat and online events and um, and and I keep kind of coming back to that because uh, you know, pre-pandemic, so many organizations use webinar platforms that didn't have the chat function. So, so they were, you know, webinars, we, we, we listened to them and we took some notes, but they were not all that engaging even back then, but it's all we knew. And then, right. um, and it was, you know, right around the pandemic where, you know, Zoom came on board, but still there was a lot of people that were using platforms that did not have the chat function. And then I think we we totally moved into a space where all, you know, all of our education, all of our webinars, all of our keynotes come with a chat function. So it's really ubiquitous. And that's a wonderful thing because as I talked about, you know, as a keynoter, I can talk to participants, participants can talk to each other and association leaders can read all of that chat later and learn about members' wants and needs. The problem is, is we're still, I think, not leveraging it to its fullest extent. So, so you don't always see um, people moderating the chat, people, right, you know, demonstrating great chat behaviors. You don't always see speakers engaging with their participants through the chat. And so uh, when, when we fully realized or fully leveraged the chat, 
I think we'll be in a really good place. And I just mentioned chat uh, as one of those technological advances because it is open to everybody, whether you are a chapter you know, of 10 people or a global association of 200,000. And it, I agree, it provides a lot of kind of insights if you really um, use the information and look at it as we're getting a lot of information from our members that's happening through that chat. Um, I think that's the other thing too, is sometimes people just take the chat and be like, and not really pay attention to what's going on um, in those conversations. So, well, thanks you so much for the great advice today, Amanda. It's been great. Great. Thank you, Sherry. It was wonderful talking with you. Yeah. It's always um, an education to hear from someone who supports a variety of association clients and, and all the data and work that, that you have been doing where um, we will continue to follow you and see the great things that, that you're producing in the fall and, and excited about um, your book that's coming out in February. Um, and thanks to our listeners. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And to meet leaders like Amanda, consider joining Dotter community. Uh, we connect you with vibrant network of association execs and partners. And you can learn more about us at www.orgcommunity.com. So thanks so much, Amanda. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.